Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And happy Thanksgiving and welcome back to American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy and welcome back. I have had a few weeks off here. Uh, a lot of moving parts, but dang it, I don't want to be on here unless I have a good program for you and some good information for you, and just a lot happening, but first of all, shout out to Jason Haynes, originer, originator of American Tennis Radio, and uh, thank you, Jason, for the UR Tennis Network and what you started out, J.P. Weber, who is the owner and the uh, the guy who really put it together for the Yellow Ball Network, and of course John Denise is on the program, and we're looking for Coach Randy Blumendahl to get back on the air soon here with American Tennis Radio. And the the biggest thing, um, you know, often I'm asked about American Tennis Radio, and and uh, do I want to do uh, something on college tennis instead, and. Uh, uh, I, I basically American tennis. I, I look. I love my country, and I love absolutely love the sport of tennis, and that's pretty much it. American tennis, and I think college tennis is part of it. High school tennis is a big part of it. What a sleeping giant high school tennis is. All of us are in this battle, and we have got to uh, start naming it, claiming it, and taming it with what we need to do to look we're the united states of america folks we are the united states of america we are the greatest country in the history of the world right now with we have all the facilities we have all the knowledge we have wonderful people we have got to find those connecting points or those synapses or the proper bridge to make everything work let me let me tell you a quick um, analogy I often use with uh, coaches when I when I go to a coaches convention or something or if I speak to a group of coaches. I said, imagine you have Mozart 
and, and the, the the greatest of the greats, and he has all this great music and knowledge. And that's you. That's you, teachers. And we have that in the United States of America. We have we have so much information. It's it's mind-boggling what we have access to right now. We have all the resources. We have everything. And guess what? <clears throat> You're trying to impart it on this great potential that we have, these youngsters who have played other sports, who have have been groomed further along than any of you and I, any of any of any of us, and for generations, better than any other country. We have all of these youngsters who have already seen so many professional events. They've already been introduced to the best of the best of the best. They have so many facilities and opportunities now to go to academies and things. So just imagine that the opportunity there is. And the talent level of our youngsters is a Stradivarius violin, a million point five or whatever, the Stradivarius. And those of you who are who do music, you understand the analogy and where I'm going here. So you have Mozart, which are you coaches teaching. You have the Stradivarius as far as the the potential there to, to make great, great music. And you have Mozart playing away, and he's – giving his very, very best and playing his very, very best uh, violin concerto. And, and uh, it, it, the very, very best he can do it. <clears throat> Nothing works, though, unless you have that little balsa wood piece there or however you make that bridge, a piece of wood that connects the strings with that Stradivarius base of that Stradivarius I almost said guitar. Where am I? What am I thinking? Uh, Gibson guitar, but Stradivarius violin. The Stradivarius violin. I mean, you, you hear so you have a teacher giving their very best. You have all the potential in a student, all of the facilities, everything you need for this great knowledge to be passed down. And where are we missing it? We are missing it with that bridge that bridge, that synapse, that connector. It's its not about more opportunities, folks. It's not about better facilities. It's not about our teachers to be becoming what We've got plenty of all of that. We've got plenty. But we're not making the connection. Now, the thing that is scary to me and the thing I want to talk about today, I, I was – going to name it fighting tweenerism in our society. Uh, but I, I don't want to be negative here and just talk about what we are doing wrong. But our youngsters are not prospering and growing the way that they are because, number one, they are not pursuing excellence. They are not hungry for that last 20% of the journey. Everybody is pretty good about being average. Recently, I had to let a player go on my team. This has been a few years back. And uh, my athletic director said, why would you do this? This kid is really, really a nice kid. I said, you're right. He's a nice kid. <clears throat> I said, as far as being compliant, he's probably a, an 8, 7 or an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. But as far as being completely locked in and being committed to the mission. He's about a 
four, and then being inspired to play, he's about a one or a two. He's just putting in his time, and I do not want that example of an older player around my younger players. So I let the young man keep his scholarship for his last year, but basically I didn't want him around the young base that I'm building. I didn't want him around and, ha- and, and to pollute the culture, dilute, pollute the, the culture. And, and the culture that you build on your team or the team, that you, whether you're running a club, whether you're talking about your own youngsters, but the culture that you have, it's not it's not about rah rah rah. We got to go out and 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 uh, be the best every day. Be the best. Be the best. It's not about that. It's not winning is the only thing. It is pursuing excellence every day. Pursuing mastery, mastery. So I, I you know if you could the, the analogy of Mozart and the violin. I haven't got a lot of feedback out of that, but. I've all, that's what we have. It's not, it's not the teachers. It's not the facilities. It's not the kids. It's our ability to understand what that bridge needs to be. Now, what is that bridge? And that's what I'm going to go after, after, after today. And I, I'll be right back very quickly here. We just got to very quickly go back. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be right back. American Tennis gives us about 30 seconds here to do what we need to do. Coach Chuck Creasy, and remember, my book, Coaching Tennis, is still out there, folks. Go to Amazon.com, and you can order your copy of Coaching Tennis today. Over 40,000 of these coaching books from A to Z are out in about all over the world right now. And all you need to do is go to Amazon and order it. It's called Coaching Tennis. It gives you the fundamentals. It takes you all the way to A to Z. It is the only place in the world you can learn about momentum control. And if you want the strategies, how to get the physical, the mental, and the emotional parts of your game all working together, go order Coaching Tennis today. And I'm Coach Chuck Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E. Thanksgiving to everybody. We've got so much to be thankful for day to day, day in, day out. If we've got a job to go to and we can take and home and put food on the table for our families and uh, all of you out there, those who are your fathers, you know, to protect, to provide is the most important thing that we have with our families. We need to be thankful if we can protect and provide. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this bridge. Uh, the bridge, okay, so my daughter, the other day, we were, we, we, I started doing this Facebook stuff a little bit, and I've had some friends say, you've got to get out there. You've got to get your stuff out there. I've got like 15, something, something in the number of 15 or 17 uh, videos that I've done, like five-minute videos that – my friend, uh, Coach Ashley Hobson, has been saying, Coach, you got to get this out there. you got to get this out there. I don't quite 
in my generation doesn't quite understand um, <laughs> how how powerful this social media is. So you've got to forgive me catching on a couple years later. I'm finally catching on to the Facebook though. But, but <laughs> by the way, folks, when I first went to college, this should date me. We didn't have Xerox machines. We had Mimeo. Okay, that's that's enough, right? That's enough information. That sort of gives you an idea. But the bottom line on this is this social media thing. I've been sending stuff out, and there's been a discussion going <clears throat> right now about the cost of tennis and the tweenerism that's going on. The tweenerism of uh, if I, there was someone who wrote in and they said, "Look, parents are willing to pay it." It's okay. It's it's a stable enterprise for the coaches, for everybody. And if the parents are willing to pay it, they need to pay it. And I, what I put in there, the, 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 they were saying that it's no more expensive than some of the other sports. Of course, golf and, oh, my golly, ballet is what I want to talk about here in a minute. My daughter's doing ballet. But I, I wrote back and I said, you know, it's not about the cost. Parents will pay any cost if the quality is really, really high. But as you know, in the past, golly, three or four years, they've been, and I call it dumbed down because it really is. They're dumbing down to the common denominator. Whenever you, uh, yesterday I had a good friend who's a coach, and I said the old bell-shaped curve used to be 20% underachiever, 60% in the middle of the road, and then 20% overachievers who are really achievers. That's sort of the way the old bell-shaped curve went, or it might have been more like 30, 40, 30 at one time, but that would always fluctuate, but you did not have the majority. You didn't have the great, great majority always in the middle. You always had the people who couldn't quite get it done. You had some that were in the middle, and then you had the achievers. Well, right now, the bell-shaped curve is very much five people, only five out of 100 are really, really not experiencing success because of why. The participation trophies, the every kid is a winner mentality, and the the pass-fail grades in, in our high schools, my gosh, they're even starting in some of the high schools where a youngster, even if they just sign their name to the test, makes at least a 50. So what is happening is the underachievers are the low level is about 5%. The middle level is about 90, and we only have about 5% of the people running to the open field. We have a culture, as I started the program saying, we have plenty of knowledge, plenty of opportunities. We have plenty of talent, plenty of kids that start out really, really wanting to be great at something. And then what happens is the way that we are doing things, the participation trophies and the coddling and the dealing with people's feelings first instead of actually what is, is really made it to where we pull all of the people who were low achievers in, and we say, you're a great kid, and we give you something. And then what is the tragedy? That would be okay, but the tragedy on the top end is we're lassoing those kids who would be running to the front of the pack, and we pull them back in 
to the norm, are outliers. The uh, Gladwell book, Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, where you find greatness on these outlier people. We are pulling all of the outliers back into the crab pot. I say crab pot here because there's a analogy that if you throw a bunch of, a whole bunch of crabs into boiling water and one tries to crawl out, the others will reach up and grab them and pull them back in. Uh, one of the great analogies we used to use a lot was the opening, the uh, never opening someone else's uh, egg for them. In other words, the baby chick analogy of making them break out of their own egg. The hardship, the adversity, the struggle. We all know this from the Johnny Woodens, the Vince Lombardis, the Bobby Knights, and all of the Pop Warners, and all of the great coaches, and all of the great the Harry Hopmans, the Harry Hopmans. Harry Hopman didn't care anything about the marketing part of it. He was just pursuing excellence. So it, it's not that we don't have the know-how. It's the fact that we're bringing in the low achievers to the middle, and we're lassoing those people who are the the cream of the crop, running to the front of the pack, we lasso them, we bring them back and say, no, 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 no. You don't want to show these other kids up and no, 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 no. I know you're valedictorian, but we have 14 other kids that were hard triers too. And no, 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 no. I know you're in a, um, your school is only a 2A school and you are faster than the 5A school in cross country but we're not going to let you run against that 5A person because they might feel bad if you beat them, and we're going to just make everybody a champion. And it is this mentality, and I'm going to say it, it's a socialist mentality, a top-down governing mentality that we have in tennis, that we have in our school systems, that we have in what we're doing with our children. And, 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 and it's we've got to wake up, folks. If you're a coach, a teacher, a parent, just try to think about the bell-shaped curve and try to think about the mediocrity that you see every every day, every day. So getting back to the Facebook or uh, Facebook article or whatever the paragraph, and I, I said parents parents will pay anything if they're pursuing excellence. I pay a lot of money for my daughter to go four days a week, my golly, back in May, she gave her up her summer, four nights a week, an hour and 45 minutes to go do ballet, and and you pay this money, and guess what, seven months later, the other night, she was able to go perform the Nutcracker, and she was probably on stage a total of eight or nine minutes, seven or eight months for eight or nine minutes. And you know what? I am so glad I paid that money. I am thrilled that I pay that money because the teacher is so tough. The teacher demands excellence. My daughter doesn't get to be the prima ballerina. She's she's there doing her part, and it's a good one, but she's not the prima. There's only one prima. There was only one Clara in the Nutcracker because she was the best. Everybody knew she was the best. There was only one one guy that really stood out, too. And he was the best. And everybody knew he was the best. And so with my daughter, she has a choice to make. If she wants to be the prima ballerina, she's got to get after it a lot more. 
or she has to understand that the good Lord maybe hasn't given her quite enough. So it's always ability, opportunity, desire. Nature nurtures self. We've been over this so many times, but that's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. If you have not gone to see Ford versus Ferrari, go see it today, tomorrow, this week. <clears throat> and it is a great parody. It shows you absolutely. There's two things. There's a contrast. Of course, the story is about Henry Ford getting upset with Ferrari, he tried to buy him out. Ferrari called him a few names. And then Henry Ford, the second, wanted to put him in his place by developing this race team and developing, of course, the Ford GTs. Remember the GTOs and those? But before 1963, if you remember, all those cars were family cars. They were basically very average and basically uh, to, to make a point and to try to pick up the younger market, they made a decision at Ford. And they had Lee Iacocca in there. I don't think that was completely part of the thing. I think that was part of the uh, part of the the movie part of it. It, it was it was accurate though. About ninety percent of it was accurate after you read up on it. But what happened was <clears throat> Ford went after who'd they go after? They went after a guy who had run who had won Le Mans. This Shelby guy. And this, the, the guy, Shelby Automotive. Shelby Automotive is in charge of a lot of racing back in the 60s and 70s. But they went after him. He was Matt Damon. And then they also had Christian Bale, who was this gunslinger sports car guy who was a race guy. He was a mechanic and a racer who lived on the edge, but he didn't like conformity, and he was completely an outlier. So you got Matt Damon and this other guys as outliers. And, folks, you've got to go see this movie because everything came to a head. It showed what happens with top-down management and bureaucratical management. Now, we're not getting the job done in tennis as well. Of course, I put the parallel to tennis and how we're doing top-down management with such bureaucracies like the USTA and the ITA. And there I said it, yep, I said it, USTA and ITA, dang it. The key to power is empowering people under you. It will never work to have top-down management. By the time your great ideas get to level five or six, the common person in the battleground or the park or the high school doesn't get it, and they are handcuffed, very much like top-down management in our education department top-down management or the government. You cannot just put systems out there and inspire people. You, people do not like systems. They want incentives. So it's a great parody on that. And God bless you. God bless you, USTA. And, uh, you know, college stuff is in trouble. But, you know, hey, we got a lot of good people trying to do things. But top-down management will not inspire the key to power is empowering those under you. The key to power is giving up power. Power is implied. It is not have, does not have to be exhibited. And unless, and capitalism is the way to go. So this was as capitalistic as it could get for trying to beat Ferrari at the Le Mans. 
And so what happened, they had sort of the personality complex of the guy, the number two guy there at Ford was a, I call him the Barney who's trying to run Mayberry. The problem we have so often is we have Barney trying to run Mayberry. And we have, we need Andy. We don't need Barney. We need the person who's the outlier that's got some discipline as well. And uh, pretty much the, the best scene of the movie was Matt Damon getting Henry Ford in in the car and taking him for a daggone one-minute ride and had Henry Ford screaming and crying. And he said, I never realized, I never realized what this was like. He said, yeah. He said, that's why you've got to trust me and Ken Miles to get this done, which was Christian Bale. And it, Henry Ford relented, but the Barney the the guy from Mayberry, Barney trying to run Mayberry, came back with his six-shooter and one bullet and pointing it at everybody. And it really, really depicted exactly why we are failing in our management programs and in socialist mentality will not work. If I could get this right, remember the great, great Milton Freeman, he said, those who want both freedom and equality will never get either, will, will, will get neither. Those who want equality will never have freedom. But those who work for freedom first, freedom, freedom first, those who cut people free have a great chance to have both freedom and equality. And that's why we're failing. That is one of our synapses. That's one of the bridges we are not crossing. What we try to do with USTA and top-down management is we try to build another fast bridge, try to build something fancier, and they're not practical. We need that Ken Miles out there. Oh, my golly, who'd be the best? Uh, Wayne Bryan, my golly, Wayne Bryan. If we had Wayne Bryan... <laughs> Wayne Bryan and Robert Lansdorp, these are great, great, great entrepreneurial people. Jack, <coughs> Jack, Jack Sharp in, in Chicago, entrepreneurial guy who's trained them for years and years and years. You know, we need these type of people. We need the Jerry Baskin. We need the uh, J.P. Webbers. We need people who are stand up, speak out, and just tell us, tell us, take the hill, dang it. Don't try to tell us how to do it all the time. And the USTA so often, and I'm getting off of the subject I don't want to, but so much they preach the pathway, the pathway. No, we need highways and expressways. Look, we need freedom ways. We need free dumb ways, free ways, dumb or smart, free smart ways, free dumb ways. We need free ways and people to figure out. Just show us where to go, and we'll go get it. We have a disease of tweenerism. We have a disease of tweenerism. Now, let me talk about how to sort of solve it, you know, and uh, we can name it, and then we've got to claim it. Look, we've got to, look, we've got to admit this. More than anything, the reason I sort of like the Facebook thing is, those guys out there who really disagree with me, I go against no. You know, I, folks, if you know anything about me, you know I dislike 
no ad scoring to the core, and I will always hate it to my grave because it dumbs down. It dilutes, pollutes, and prostitutes the greatest sport that has ever been made. And the, the arrogance, the gall of people to 145 years of tradition to put it aside, the gall of these people to say, hey, we got a better thing going here. We're going to market it first. The mentality of these people is to put marketing people ahead of teachers, and it's <laughs> you'll be jumping out. You'll love the movie Ford versus Ferrari because it's exactly, exactly what happens. But, but the bottom line on the thing is that we have to name it, then we have to claim it. The bridge that we need to make, and, and this is it. This, I'm going to define it. That bridge, that synapse, that passing, Passover mentoring place we need from the Mozart to play the music to, or, the, or teaching to the students, what that has to be is the giving up of control. The giving up of control. Ultimate, the ultimate control is to give up control. And before my players go onto the court, for the past 30 years, I've been telling players, your ultimate control is to give up control. You have no control over that tennis match. Once you go out there, what you have control over is your body language, what you think, and what you do. You must control your body language. You must control what you think. You must control what you do. You cannot control what you feel. The the uh, anxieties, the fears, the nervousness, all of those things will come and go like weather. But you must control what you can control. You must control what the opponent sees, your body language. You must control what you think. You must control what you do. You cannot control what you feel. You cannot control what your opponent feels. You cannot control what your opponent thinks or does. However, if you take care of what your opponent sees, what you think, and what you do. You get you get the no stinking thinking allowed on the tennis court, but if you think the right things and do what you have control over, the tennis gods allow you the tennis gods allow you to control what you see. Then you become observant, hey, my opponent can't run wide to the forehand. Hey, oh my gosh, his second serves weak. And then you become the constant and they become the variable. So you have to name it and then claim it and control what you can control. All we can control with the overall view of tennis and what's going on in our, our culture with um, so much top-down management is control our circle of influence. That's the people around us. That's why I love coaching. I love coaching college because I'm with young men and sometimes young women for four to six, really over 20 years sometimes. One player who's the uh, great Robert Davis who's coached Grand Slam finalist and he's been in Asia now for 22 years. I still can, it's been 30 years since he was on the team, 30 years. And that that is what happens when you are a coach, but you can only you teach the people to try to just control what what you have. The no ad dilutes, pollutes, and prostitutes. 
a tiebreaker for the third set bastardizes all of the work put in by the the superior player because and I think this is the best way to put it. If you had a boxing match and um, a player lays enough body punches on somebody to where he's going down about the seventh round or the eighth round because they're done. You've given enough body punches. Like in tennis, you've given enough grind, tough, tough points, and you've gotten deep into the rallies, and you've really done the stuff that you need to do with your training and your toughness. About an hour and 15 minutes into the match, that player starts wobbling. The opponent, the the, the opponent starts wobbling, and pretty soon it's 10 minutes later they're missing balls wider in the net. We all know this. When you play a tiebreaker for the third set, it's pretty much like uh, <clears throat> saying, "Okay, we box for six. Uh, we've wrestled for six rounds. Now we're going to box, or we box for six rounds." Now we're going to change the format, and it's a free-for-all for 30 seconds. Whoever gets the best 30 seconds of this round wins, and it's so unfair. It is so, so unfair. And to be frank, people might might say, well, they've done it in pro doubles for a while. Look, they, they did it in pro day doubles because they threw about 20 years ago, they threw the ATP doubles players a bone. They didn't want – the doubles players to be out on the tour anymore. They took up too much money. You had to get housing for them. They'd hang around to the end of the week. Instead of just being wise and thinking through the situation and scheduling a little different, maybe start the tournament out with two rounds of doubles and get get three-fourths of the players out of town so you don't have to pay for them. Instead, they threw a bone and said, okay, let's go tiebreakers for the third set. Horrible idea. We did. They tried this as an experiment in 1990s in college tennis, and we had some of the most unbelievable upsets. Well, you only have to win a tiebreaker. It, it's um, it's when you win the third set. Here's the tragedy, though. Instead of just not being fair, the tragedy is our kids don't learn how to play the third set. Everybody knows the race is one, if you run a mile, that last lap is important. It's the person who's done the work and prepares for that last lap. If you're running a marathon, you know that it's the last five miles that matter. If you're running a, a cross country, it's not the person that goes out and, and wins the first two miles. It's the person who wins that last mile. And we are not teaching our kids how to do this. It's It's horrible. So are, are the people who are doing this are not educators. They don't think through it. No ad scoring is completely a bastardization, and I don't need to go through that again. So we're going to claim it. We're naming it, but in then claiming it, we're going to say that, yeah, we're doing a lot of things wrong. Let me tell USTA, get the marketers out of there and listen to your teachers and your coaches first. The ones who have been in 15 or 20 years, and they've seen enough to understand the whole history and heritage of tennis as well. We've got the greats. A lot of our greatest players of all time from the 60s and the 70s are still around. We need to be getting their advice as well. Not the marketing people who want to throw a hoochie-coochie show out there and say, let's try to market it. Tennis socialism to top-down management, it will never, ever work. 
The key to power is empowering those who are under you. Power, folks, is implied. It should not be exhibited. So you leaders of the USTA, you need to empower people under you. It starts with the grassroots. I don't want to get off on uh, this topic, but it's a tragedy to see in my own state of South Carolina. We used to have four or five very noteworthy tournaments, including our state championship. Well, the USTA and their infinite wisdom come in and they basically have gone to this point system and this point system they can sort of load a tournament with points or one without points so even our state tournament has been dumbed down where the top players don't have to play it to go on to a higher level we were so much smarter when Andy ran Mayberry because Barney got computer and Barney the Barneys out there were able to have their input and look like they could have come up with a slick marketing program. But do you all remember how we used to be able to do it where we could play the state tournament and we knew that the state champion was a state champion? And guess what? If you were the top six or seven in the state, guess what? You got to move on to the Southerns or you got to move on to the Midwest championships or you got to move on to the – to the Pacific Northwest Championships. Now they have they don't do that. They do everything on points. So we might have a kid that played football and basketball and then played tennis in the spring and guess what? He's the state's best athlete. He wins the state tournament of South Carolina at Belton. Then he gets to go on to Southerns and guess what? If you finish in the top twenty in the South or fifteen in the South, you got to go to nationals. And we had about four nationals that everybody knew about. And planning for these, parents got to plan for these events. And you knew you had to go to the clay courts. You had to go to Kalamazoo. And you probably, if you wanted to be recruited, you had to go to the national indoors in Dallas, Texas. And going to the hard courts or the Pacific Northwest or some of the westerns that used to be held in Columbus, Ohio, if you went to those those helped out. They helped rankings, and you got if you got a win head to head over some top player, but it was not. It was based on your performance, state, locally, state, regionally, nationally. Now we're going to have a system where it's top-down management, and everybody's chasing points. Why do they make points so important? Because it's easier on administrators to add up. Points. This tournament's worth this much. This tournament's worth this much. They have destroyed the history and the heritage of our tournament at Belton in South Carolina. Shameful, shameful. The people there put that tournament on for 60 or 70 years. And if I was someone who was there working on that tournament, I would be vomiting and so upset. You're not going to stay working for somebody that just cut your legs out from under you. So all of our volunteers are bailing out. The only volunteers we have are the second and third stringers that want to get noticed by the USTA. They're not engaged for the right reason. Most of them are not educators, or if they are educators, they bail out very quickly when they understand that just like their classrooms, they are being dictated to from top down, from whether it's a Washington bureaucrat or bureaucracy or whether it's the Florida bureaucracy, the USTA, 
they're being dictated to you. College tennis is just as bad right now. They have dumbed down to 25 matches. So what do we do? We need to tame it. We need to stand up, speak out. Look, a squeaky wheel gets the oil, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. You must be persistent. I believe in never addressing people. I am going to address the issues in organizations. Yes, I do not like the USTA. USTA, do you hear me? You're, kill, you're committing suicide for tennis in this country, and you're going to run over to pickleball and try to get members. Why are we going to call them members of the USTA? And join pickleball and join hands and sing kumbaya with pickleball? Are you kidding me? There's good reasons why we lose in our numbers, and it does nothing to do with the sport of tennis. It has to do with the top-down management. He's squashing every bottom-up entrepreneur that wants to make a difference in their community, and you squash them. You squash them. But a lot of times, if people play ball with you, you'll give them a grant, and you'll prop them up. But you know very, very well that your ultimate thing is that you want control, just like a socialist organization. How do we get the socialism in there and everything? I'm going to pass this on. Uh, go listen to Diana West and her book out was American Betrayal, America's Betrayal. Go to Diana West, America's Betrayal, and uh, she she is, uh, you can go to YouTube, but she's, she basically points out this all started by 1936, and uh, Stalin putting 50, 50 communist spies in the country, or 500, it might have been 500, and uh, how they went after Hollywood, and Stalin basically said, "Look, we're going to have to. Socialism will do its part in Europe, but we're going to have to. We're going to have to corrupt the institutions and weaken Americans' institutions, which means their schools, their churches, our colleges, and our civic civic organizations. And the dumb down has started. Name it, claim it, tame it. Look, mentoring." Mentoring is the way to go if you want to make a difference. You know a squeaky wheel gets the oil in, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. But mentoring is the way to go. And I've brought, I've had programs on three-tier mentoring, but this is the way it should work. Every one of you out there should try to have someone who mentors you with what you can do. Then you need to mentor people under you, and they need to mentor people under them. But everybody, whatever level you are, need friends at your level to hold you accountable and to give you guidance because you don't, just like playing a tennis match, I always tell the players, you can't see yourself, you only feel yourself. Parents, before you get mad at your kids, remember, they can't see themselves. You can't feel what they feel. In that movie, Ford versus Ferrari, look, Mr. Ford could watch Henry Ford could watch 100 races, but he knew, never knew what it felt like to be in that race car. You don't understand what it feels like to be on that tennis court. You don't understand what it's like to, to have to battle those points and hit a ball when your hands and your arms just collapse. Your legs feel like they weigh 40 pounds, like running in sand. So the mentoring, everybody, you should have someone above you, someone below you, and then your peer group that is with you. 
And if if you will do that, if you do will do that, you'll be able to at least battle. We've got to name this, claim this, tame this. Folks, we have a battle on our hand. The pursuit of excellence is the only option. Pursue excellence. Never lose your taste for the pursuit of excellence. Never allow your youngsters to be tweeners. And it doesn't mean they have to win all the time. It means that they pursue mastery over success. Mastery. They've got to be a student, not just somebody who gets good grades. They've got to be a tennis player, not just somebody who plays tennis. They need to be a musician instead of somebody who just plays the piano. But they need to love absolutely what they do. They will if you give them a goal that's high and tell them to go chase it. It's not about the glory. It's about going after something and pursuing a great, great goal in their lives. Let's help our youngsters pursue excellence again and not be satisfied with tweenerisms and tweenerism. Folks, look at me at uh, chuckcreasy.net is my website. You can look up. Also, folks, uh, chuckcreasy at Gmail. If you want me to shoot me an email, if you like today's program, if you want to get more information, go to chuckcreasy.net and you can listen to all my programs. It has been great. Remember that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a... Made in America. America.